Dream Life Worship Center in Randallstown, Maryland, is an uplifting church, helping people live their dreams and fulfill their purpose by following the Word of God. Welcomed. It's so good. Matthew 16, 14. Matthew 16, 14. We'll try to teach a little bit from this, preach a little bit, and we see we'll, we'll see where we land. Thank you, armor bearers, elders. Thank you for your hospitality. I so appreciate you, Elder Raymond, for coming with me today. I honor you, man of God. My wife sends her love. Um, dream life, she sends her love. Matthew 16, verse 14. Can I have that water? Matthew 16, verse 14 through verse 18 is where I want to hang out. And I'm going to grab another passage out of Genesis 22, verse 17. Matthew 16, 14. Through verse 18. Actually, Matthew 16, 13. Now, when Jesus went into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Verse 14. And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Verse 15. He said to them, but who do you yourself say that I am? Verse 16. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Then Jesus answered him, blessed are you. Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Verse 18, but I tell you, you are Petros, or Peter, a large rock, a Gibraltar. I will build my church on this rock, and the gates of Hades, oh boy, and the gates of Hades, and the gates of Hades shall not overpower it or be destroyed or you will not be destroyed by it. I, I want to go over just to Genesis 22, verse 17, just real quick. Genesis 22, verse 17, and we'll link these up. Let's, uh, yeah, we can do that. Genesis 22, verse 17. That in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven, and as the sands which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall, watch this, possess the gate of his enemies. Look at the neighbor beside you and say, neighbor, you have a gate that you have to possess. I want to preach this morning about possessing the gates um, of your enemy. Holy Spirit, I thank you. Teacher, revealer, I work with you and not the opposite. I trust your leadership in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated for a moment. I want to just kind of um, walk you through a few things and then I promise you, um, we're going to have some fun in the word today. Before I jump right into Matthew 16, I want to do a bit of um, theological, cosmological work um, for the purpose of us understanding Matthew 16 and what Jesus was trying to convey to his disciples. Our theological, cosmological work begins actually in Luke, the 10th chapter and the 18th verse uh, where Jesus says to his disciples, and I saw Satan falling like a lightning bolt from heaven. Revelation 12, 14 picks up and says, and a third of the angels fell with him. That's Revelation 12, 24. A third of the angels fell with him. Jude 6 takes it a step further and he says, the angels that did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling, 
He has kept in eternal chains until the gloomy darkness, until the judgment of that great day. I read these three scriptures for you to highlight um, a bit of cosmological activity before the creation story. We know that Lucifer commits high treason, high treason and he rebels against God. He desires to be like God, desires God's worship. The Bible says that he convinces a third of the angels to go along with this plan. And for this reason, he was expelled from the third heaven region and was given a lower position or a lower uh, occupancy or a place to hang out apart from the third heavens. Something else happens that is not really talked about, especially in contemporary uh, Christian conversations. It was not just that Lucifer was expelled from heaven, but a third of the angels fell with him. In order to understand the, the ramifications of that or the weight of that, we would have to look at Genesis chapter 6 to see what happened when the third of the angels fell with Lucifer. Genesis chapter 6, chapter 6 discusses that the sons of God, it's going to get interesting now, were intimate with the daughters of men. And from that particular union, a particular race was born called the Nephilims. These were giants. These were men of great renown that taught men all types of wickedness. Uh, there's still something that's missing in that story, and we would have to go into Jewish literature. Hang with me. It's going to get good in a second. Uh, we would have to look at an extra biblical book. Now, I'm not preaching this book as Bible, but I, I'm referencing this book because it is commentary, and a lot of what it suggests is also mentioned in Jude chapter 6. The book of Enoch, a pretty popular book that many have heard about before, extra biblical book, it is not Bible. It is not to be regarded as the original 66, canonized with the original 66. However, it is just commentary that fills in the blanks and helps us with the narrative. Uh, Enoch um, helps us a bit. In Enoch 6, uh, 1 through 6, it actually shows that when the third of the angels fell, they fell on a particular mass of land which is called Mount Hermon. Hang with me. It's called Mount Hermon because there was an oath that was made um, between all of the angels that we would defile all of God's creation. And Enoch begins to fill in more blanks. He shows us how wickedness increased to the point that in chapter 6, God said, I wanted to destroy the entire world because it was so polluted. Enoch suggests that all of the angels taught men how to do several things. Taught them wickedness, taught them how to cut stones, how to cast spells. They taught them secrets to accessing power. And the final act was creating a hybrid race as an insult to God's original created order. Hang with me, it gets better. This particular area, again, was called Mount Hermon. Say Mount Hermon. Uh, we see Mount Hermon um, making its uh, 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 appearance again in 1 Kings chapter 12, 25 through 33. A wicked king by the name of Jeroboam, he erects a golden calf on Mount Hermon. And at Mount Hermon, there was a religion called golden calf worship that was introduced where? At Mount Hermon. Jeroboam begins to institute Baal worship, a counter worship, a counter devotion 
to the gods Baal, the gods of Baal, and the golden calf. That is 1 Kings 12, 25 through 33. Are you with me? It's going to get interested in a second. From 300 B.C. to 200 B.C., this site was captured by the Greeks. And the Greeks called Mount Hermon the place of Pan worship. Who was Pan? Pan was a hybrid being, half goat, half man. Some of y'all see the connection now. Um, also, the fertility god was worshipped at Mount Hermon. Fast forward through history, Hermon was then dedicated to the honor of Caesar Augustus. Um, by the time we get to Jesus' day, this place was so defiled, this place was so polluted, that when Philip took over uh, the, the, the reign of Judea and uh, conquered what was mostly known as the world during that time, he named that particular place Caesarea Philippi. Why is this important, preacher? Why did you go through all of this today? Because I need you to understand that Matthew 16's conversation is not being held in a synagogue. Matthew 16 conversation is not being held around the table. Matthew 16's conversation is being held at the base of Mount Hermon. Hang with me. Um, this place was a place you weren't supposed to go as a Jew um, because Zeus was being worshipped there. Um, it was forbidden for any Jew to go to this place because uh, several things were happening. There were babies that were being thrown into the water as a sacrifice. There were all type of sexual immoral acts that were happening there. Um, it was a place where goats were mating and it was an act uh, of, of celebration for the pan god. All of these detestable things were happening in Caesarea Philippi which was a new name for Mount Hermon are y'all with me Jesus takes his class to Mount Hermon y'all help me preach for a moment I find it interesting that while all of the rest of the Jews cowered and were afraid to go to this place because they felt that the unholy was more powerful than the holy. Jesus takes his disciples there. It's interesting because this is the type of Jesus that I love. Because while everybody else is afraid because they think that darkness has the more power than light. Jesus is not afraid to teach a lesson right in the presence of darkness. God help me. He takes his apostolic class to this location to teach them something that um, they would have to use in days to come. What does he teach them? First of all, he teaches them that I need you to know that where you are is directly connected to the previous conversation in Matthew 16 that we had. Remember now, Jesus has just rebuked the Pharisees and the Sadducees and he told his disciples, be careful that you don't eat the leaven of the Pharisees. What was the leaven of the Pharisees? It was hypocrisy. 
it was them saying one thing but doing a completely different thing now there's a connection here there's a connection because I don't want you to be apostles after I ascend that, that, that talk about power but never position yourself in position or place for power to be demonstrated because that is called hypocrisy it's called hypocrisy and I would I would beg to argue that hypocrisy is one of the indictments against the carrot church of Jesus Christ where we say one thing but live and do a good now now watch it I'm not talking about sin some of you just think I'm talking no 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 I'm talking about the power of God being demonstrated meaning we will talk more about power but never position ourselves to see the power of God so so what this means is we will send Jesus to the hospitals but never show up there ourselves which means yeah 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 we'll have you to send your prayer request in uh, but, but we'll never step to the point or the place of crises to see the power of God manifest as a matter of fact uh, we've gotten so numb to the power of God that when someone demonically manifests uh, we shut service down and we take them quickly to the back uh, instead of addressing the issue in the power of God it's called hypocrisy Lord Jesus I could go a step further the book of James says if there's any sick amongst you it does not say call the doctor it says call upon the elders of the church and the prayer oh y'all not hearing me now and the prayer of faith will raise them up what good is it that I quote these scriptures but when someone is sick elders I ignore the phone call it's called hypocrisy and Jesus did not want his disciples to eat the leaven of the Pharisees I'm almost there hang with me Jesus goes and he asks Peter the question who do men say that I am he says, listen, there's a lot of rumors about you. One person is saying that you're a prophet. The other is saying that you're a teacher. But, but can I say this to you? Peter had the greatest revelation. He says, thou art Christ, the Christos. Now, now this word Christos or Messiah or the Messiah in the Greek, in the Hebrew, uh, it wasn't just one that broke yokes. It wasn't just one that saved. But it was actually a militant term. Y'all hear what I'm saying? It was um, because, watch it, the prophecy regarding the Messiah was that he was going to overthrow a government. That power would be on his shoulders. Y'all hear me? So it wasn't just about him saving souls it was about him dealing with the powers that be in the region y'all not hearing me in the earth that was wrapped up in the name Messiah it was a militant term Jesus says Peter uh, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you but uh, the, my father in heaven revealed and then he goes further and says he says uh, thou art Peter and this is the meat of my message. Watch this. He says, and upon this rock, I'll build my church. Now, theologians have wrestled, have grappled with what the rock actually was. Some believe that it was Peter. Some believe that it was Peter's confession. Uh, but then there's another uh, a thought or another revelatory insight. It was that Jesus was saying that 
at this rock or this mountain, I will build my church. Now hang with me. You, 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 you don't say, Jesus, that you would build his church in the field. You said, upon this rock. What rock was Jesus referring to? He was referring to the mountain where the angels fell and made an oath with one another that will defile God's creation. And wouldn't it be like Jesus to build his church right there? Lord help me. He does not say I'm going to build my church a ways off because, because my church is no good a ways off. But I'm going to put my church right at the belly, the workshop of the adversary because my church is more effective there than it is across the street. I could have said I'll build my church in the synagogue but I chose to put my church at the base, the foundation of demonic activity because there's something my church is supposed to do that will overthrow the power of the adversary. Let me be, uh, let me be scripturally sound. Actually, the base of Mount Hermon or Caesarea Philippi was also called the gate of Hades. Do your research. So when Jesus was saying the gates will not prevail against it, here's what Jesus was saying. I'll put my church there and then I'll command my church to storm the gates. Uh, touch your name and say, hey, it's about to get good in a second uh, because you're about to be re-identified. Uh, come on, come on. The church has been at a ways off long enough. We've been reactive long enough, but God's about to put us in position, in the face, in the presence of demonic opposition and activity for us to reroute. For us to realign, come on, for us to deal with, because that's the power of the church of Jesus Christ. Don't you never say, but do you know who you are? Let, let, let me hit this first, and I, I'm almost, Lord, I feel like preaching. Hold on, let me hit this just real quick, because the, 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 we do an etymological dig of the word church, it is ecclesia. Now, now, now the ecclesia, according to Athenian culture, Greek Athenian culture, and Roman culture, Roman Greco-Roman culture, uh, the ecclesia was responsible for seven different things. I'll, I'll list only four of them. Uh, one of the things they were responsible for, and this is for at least ten of you in the room who have been praying that the church would rise up. One of the things the ecclesia was responsible for was declaring war. You know, you know, here's the thing, here's the thing, here's the thing. The ecclesia uh, was not responsible uh, for frying chicken and selling fish dinners. The, the ecclesia, I, I know, I think we got a wrong perception of what the church was supposed to be. The church was never supposed to be a social club. It was supposed to be the divine entity in the earth realm that declared war. See, see, here's the problem. We got our orders wrong. We're declaring peace, but not declaring war. See, understand, the Bible calls God a mighty man of war, which means he knows that there's some opposition that needs to be dealt with. And he has deputized 
as the church, giving the church responsibility that everything you bind shall be bound and everything you loose will be loose. Touch your name and say, never declare war. One of the reasons why we don't know how to fight is because we expect God to get us out of everything immediately. This has been, I'm going to say something, is one of the major differences between the Western and the Eastern church. The Eastern church has learned how to suffer. So they have battle scars. Y'all not hearing me. Y'all, y'all, y'all. They have stories and reputation of the power of God intervening. However, the Western church will say things that are antithetical to the word of God. We'll tell you to praise him and God's going to make it better. But that is not true. Nowhere in scripture do I see God telling his people to praise him and things will get better. But Paul said, endure hardness. So, oh, y'all don't want to hear this. We, we preach the escape theology, but we don't preach the warrior theology that teaches us how to stay in it and contend. We don't, well, y'all. Okay, watch it. Hold on. Hold on. Watch this. Watch this. This is actually evident in our eschatological view, meaning our end time view. Many of us are waiting for the rapture. I know I'm getting so much trouble right now. But there's a group of us who says when he comes, he comes. But while we're here, we're going to release kingdom power. Oh, I just, I just made some religious folk mad. Because while you got your eyes in the sky, Jesus is saying, put your eyes back down here. Because there's work for my church to do. There's some spirits that have been moving ferociously in your community, in your neighborhood. And they need to be rerouted. Their activities to be cut off. That's why I called my church an entity of war. Point number two. Be seated. The church declared war. The second thing that Ecclesia did in Greco-Roman culture is that they put leadership in place. Mean, meaning that the church, y'all, I'm getting in trouble, has power to say who will lead our nation. Y'all not hearing me. But the problem, we, the reason why we can't unify in that decision is because, y'all, there's so much compromise in us that, 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 that we, we're fighting over issues that we should be agreeing upon. So we can't put a leader in position because we got compromise in us. Uh, but touch it, the day is coming where the church will unite doesn't matter denomination doesn't matter ethnicity we'll rise up and say we want a leader that believes in the bible and not use it for his advantage let me get out of that let me get out of that let me get out of that the ecclesia was also responsible for releasing funds to the community or the empire which means they were the financial decision-making body. Uh, yeah. now, 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 this is not anything far in the scripture because when you read Acts chapter 2 
and Acts chapter 3, what you'll discover is that they had all things in common. There was no lack in the church. Because the ecclesia had resources. Watch it, not just for the body, but resources to share. Which means instead of the world going to the bank, they should be able to come to the... I'll leave that alone. Touch your neighbor and say, but God wants you rich. He wants you wealthy. But it's not so you can get Louie. I know, I just made some of y'all mad. Not so that you can buy a Bentley, but so that you can be the leading financial institution. Y'all not hearing what I'm saying. And, and, I, and this is going to be really important prophetically in the days to come. Especially, now I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you what the Lord showed me. I got 13 minutes. I'll tell you what he showed me when we brought our, our, our building, the building that we just purchased. Um, uh, we went through different type of things. We went to banks and, and all the banks were saying that uh, we don't want to loan to churches. So if you know what I'm talking about. We don't want to loan. As a matter of fact, we're not giving any more loans out because uh, there are churches who have actually defaulted um, on their loan. I said, God, so where's the church supposed to go? And you know what the Lord said to me? The church. We're supposed to have so much in the storehouse that if we ever needed to build a shelter, community center, residential uh, uh, property, real estate for people to live in, we should be able to do it out of our own pocket. But you never say, are you ready for that type of church? Come on, ask him, are you ready for that type of church? Okay, let, let, let me get back to my text. Um, so, so Jesus says, I'm going to allow my church to storm the gates of the enemy. I just told you what the church is, three, three particular attributes, but, but, but let, let me take this a step further. In Bible days, Gates were the meeting place of influencers. One of the things that the Bible says about Lot is that Lot was so influential in his city that he would meet with the elders at the gate. So the seat of influence was at the gate. Genesis 22. I'm almost finished. I got five minutes. Don't worry, organist. I'm not a hooper. F five minutes. Genesis 22 says, he says, Abraham, your descendants will be as the stars and the sand. And he tells them that they will possess the gates of their enemies. I just told you gates represented seats of influence for demographic areas, geopolitical areas. It was the gate, the gate, y'all hear me. So, so what God was telling Abraham is that, that your descendants will be so wise, courageous, powerful, that the gates, the seats of influence, they'll lay claim to. We've been taught for years, and I'm done, how to stand before kings, but we haven't been taught enough of how to be kings. y'all revelation one says for he has made us to be kings and priests before our god so here's what this means I, I, i'm not just learning how to stand before influencers but we having a conversation because one day i'm gonna have that seat I, i'm talking to five people here that, that, 
trying to get a promotion just to make more money. I know that there's a seat that has been reserved for a kingdom citizen to occupy. Judge neighbor and say, neighbor, I don't know about you, but I want my seat. Tell him, I don't know about you, but I'm tired of the wicked ruling. I'm tired of the carnal ruling. There's about to be a switch in the earth. And it's kingdom people, the church of Jesus Christ, storming the gates, not just storming it, but possess the gates. Oh boy. Maybe, maybe, maybe some of you don't know why God put this ministry here. Because there's a gate in this region that dream life is supposed to possess. Y'all not hearing me. There was a gate established by wickedness in this region. However, God put dream life here to not just storm the gate but possess the gate and for about 20 of you sit at the gate. Now, now here's the thing. It's what happens when kings sit down. Lord Jesus. The Bible says that God inhabits the praises of his people. The word inhabit is actually taken from the word that means sit and judge. See, here's the thing about kings in Bible times. A king may not have been able to get to his throne room to sit and decree. But they would make thrones out of sticks in the forest. They would find rocks for the king to sit upon. Because here's what they knew. That whenever the king sat down, it was decree time. <laughs> I'm going to say that one more time. That whenever kings sat down, it was decree time. It's part of the reason why Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. Because everything that Jesus decrees in the presence of the Father, the Father honors the Son. Y'all not hearing me? Some of you don't understand that you're just not going to storm. You're not going to just possess. But God's going to cause you to occupy a seat. And whatever you decree on the behalf of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, that shall it be for that sphere of influence. Turn to David and say, David, wake up. He almost done. Now, here's the disconnect in this message. I'm done. The, 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 the disconnect is that, that a preacher, you're only preaching to those who are spiritual and who are deep. No, I'm preaching to every citizen of the kingdom. All right, how, prove your point. Genesis 22 says that Abraham, your descendants, first of all, I appreciate this man of God right here uh, because um, I don't know who you are, but I heard something out of your mouth that I haven't heard in a long time. I heard you exhorting, but you were using the Bible and scripture in your exhortation. Because the writers of the book of Psalms or the book of songs were didactic, meaning that they taught people through their singing. May the Lord raise you up, man of God, to cleanse the fabric 
of the music art sphere with returning us back to didactic singing which breaks up activity in the atmosphere and releases the intention of heaven. May you write books. And the thing about what you do is not even something that is, is you know how people have their, their thing. This is not really your thing. This is a spillover from your personal relationship with God. And, and, and what you're going to have to write is not skill, but you're going to have to teach worship leaders how to stand in the holy place and commune with the holy God. And what they do before people is a spillover of what they do in private. I call forth the books out of you, man of God. I call forth the workshops out of you, man of God. May the Lord put a prophetic fire in your belly. May he put a prophetic fire in your mouth. That every time you stand up to minister and impart, you shake the very foundations of the dominion of darkness. I command now for the prophetic fire in you to burn ferociously and you will turn a generation back to God and you will turn an orphan generation back to the father may the revelation of the father increase in you and burn in you like a fire that cannot be extinguished Genesis 22 I gotta finish I got a four minutes. Genesis 22. He sung about us being grafted in to the vine. That's Romans chapter 9. Us being grafted in. Meaning that everything that was a decree to Abraham is our portion. So because you're in the vine, Genesis 22 is your word. I don't, I don't think you heard what I said. I'm going to say it again. Take these, please, because I, I, I got to cut off. I got another service to preach. So I, I can't do this because I, I feel I can go another hour. But, but can I, everything in Genesis 22, verse 17. Can we read it just real quick one more time? And your seed and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. Everybody jump to your feet right now. Everybody jump to your feet right now. I want you right now to ask Holy Spirit. Something's going to happen powerful in this room. I want Holy Spirit to give you revelation of the gate or the sphere that you're supposed to possess. Come on. I want you right now. Close your eyes. Pray in the Holy Ghost for a minute. Some of you are about to get images. You're about to get words. Come on, come on. You're about to see your gate. See your gate. Come on. See your gate right now. Turn it up, brother. See your gate right now. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. There it is. There it is. Your gate. You may want to write your gate. I want you to put this in your memory bank. Now, watch this. I want you to take your hands and grab your gate. God, I feel the anointing. I want you to take your hands. It's called a prophetic act. Grab your gate. Your gate may be the music industry. Your gate may be the real estate world. Your gate may be the business mountain. Your gate may be the healthcare mountain. Take your gate. Grab it by the horns. Come on, take it. Take it. And right now, in the
the spirit I want you to give your gate a violent shake come on shake 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 your gate shake it like it's coming down come on help me musicians shake your gate like it's coming down come on and your life is not covered by Jesus there ain't no other way there's only one sheet that's coming down from heaven and his name is Jesus and if you're not covered today I don't care what you've done how much you've done it how often you did it if you're not covered today you're not saved according to the Bible you can be you'll be saved when you're covered by Jesus if I'm talking to you I want you to lift your hands and say preacher pray for me I want to give Jesus my heart when you lift your hands if you're not sure you're covered every hand down except those who want to be saved repeat this after me say Lord Jesus cover my life I believe you died for me I believe your blood cleanses me and makes me right with God thank you Jesus for saving me thank you Jesus for accepting me in Jesus name we hope you enjoyed the word that was specifically prepared for you to hear today visit www.dreamlifewc.com.